We'll be in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 43 this morning. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew, a series which we've entitled Jesus is King. Uh, and we're in a section, uh, Matthew chapter 13 is, uh, chapter 13 is all parables from Jesus. And so we are diving into some of them again today. We use the ESV translation. Um, so if you're wondering, well, what are they reading from? If you're new and visiting, that's the translation we like to use. It'll be on the screen for you. Let me read, or let me get my Bible, and then let me read God's word for us. If you want a title for today's message, it is Pictures of the Kingdom. Pictures of the Kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, a le is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Would you pray with me? 
Almighty God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if you've ever had the privilege of uh, going along somewhere and seeing live art being painted before your very eyes. I know that one of our members, Marcus Trippity, is, is a live artist at times and has been known to, to sketch comics and things like that at, at cool hipster Newtown bar indie shows. And that's good for Marcus, but I haven't seen his work. But one of my experiences was I once saw an artist set up a big canvas and begin to get to work at painting this, this portrait, uh, not this portrait, this landscape. And as he started working, it was messy. There was things all over and he was working quickly and there was brushstrokes here, brushstrokes there, brushstrokes here, sketching, shading. Uh, and as you watch, you're thinking, what is going to become of this? Uh, where is this going? But if you stood around long enough, long enough and long enough, bit by bit, it started to take shape. Bit by bit, the picture started to get clearer and clearer. And in fact, by the end of it, the, the artist had painted this beautiful picture of Golgotha, of, of where Jesus had died and Jesus dying on the cross. But if you had have come in at the beginning of that painting and just walked past and seen the, the rough scratchings and the shading here and the outlines there, you would have thought to yourself, man, this is a bit awkward. This guy, he calls himself an artist. And look, look at this, this this is pathetic. This is terrible. This is so rough and doesn't resemble anything. Perhaps if the artist had a, if you had to vocalize that, the artist may have just in confidence turned over his shoulder and said to you, just wait and see. Just wait and see. And bit by bit, if you waited around, you would have seen the beautiful artwork that he was painting. As we come to these three parables this morning, Jesus Christ is painting a picture for the disciples of what the coming kingdom is going to look like. Remember, at this point, he hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't resurrected from the dead. The church hasn't been born. There's Jesus, rejected by the religious elite, moved to and fro by the crowd, standing in a boat, preaching to these people these strange stories. And they're listening in thinking, what what kingdom are you bringing in? What are you getting done through your kingdom? And through these stories, through these kind of masked stories that only make sense if you lean in, if you humbly enter into the parable and, and search and think, what are you trying to say? Through these stories, Jesus is saying, wait and see. Wait and see. Because what Jesus paints in these pictures is three portraits or three landscapes of the kingdom of heaven and what it will be like and what it has become. And so for us this morning, we're going to investigate this long passage through three questions, three questions to help us figure out these parables. And we're going to see today that this passage still has relevance for us. It's not just an explanation for them but it actually helps us to understand what is God doing in the world right now and through the church right now, and what are we meant to do in response? And so the three questions to guide our exploration this morning are these. Number one, what does the kingdom look like? What does the kingdom look like? Number two, where is the kingdom heading? Where is the kingdom heading and number three, what do we do now? 
three pictures of the kingdom and let's investigate it with those three questions. Number one, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? Remember, these parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. They paint a picture of a reality that you can't quite see unless you lean in and listen. So what will this kingdom be like? Well, the original hearers, as they heard Jesus speak of the kingdom of heaven, they had preconceived intuitions and ideas about what it would look like. They thought, oh, great, the kingdom of heaven is coming. Oh, that means one like the son of David, one like King David is coming. We're going to bring back the glory of Israel. You know, the, the English people at the moment are continually harping on about bringing the Euro Cup home, even though they've never had it. Um, this was what it was like for uh, Israel at that time to hear of the kingdom. Bring her home. Bring it home. We want to be us again, powerful, political, economical, all over. This is the glory of Israel coming back. Then we have our ideas. When we hear of the kingdom of heaven advancing, we bring to it our own intuitions and perspectives and ideas about what the kingdom ought to look like. Perhaps for some of us, it's this idea of rapid church growth and revival. For some of us, it's a beautiful, perfect, tiny little church family where we all know each other and we just stay close-knit and love each other to the end. The perfect church, the unified church, the growing church. Well, let's see what Jesus's three pictures have to teach us about what the kingdom of heaven really looks like. It's going to teach us four things from this passage today, and I'm, I'm going with four M's uh, to help us understand them. And we're just going to briefly walk through each one of the parables. What will the kingdom look like? Well, the kingdom of heaven will be mixed. Number one, the kingdom of heaven will be mixed. There will be wheat and weeds, Jesus says. Last week, we saw in the parable of the four soils that there's going to be four varied responses to the one gospel message. This week, in another agricultural farming analogy, Jesus goes from sort of the peasant farmer to the rich landlord who has servants and, and all these hired hands, and he, he goes out and, and this farmer sows good seed and, and a great crop has been sowed. However, over time, the servants realize that it's not just good seed, that there's weed that's grown up in amongst it. They come to the farmer and they, they, their master and they say, what happened? Why is there bad seed here? Why is there weeds? Didn't you plant good weed, uh, good seed? And he, he identifies an enemy has done this. And Jesus later tells us that it's Satan. And, that, and then they say, naturally, like we would say, well, let's get them out. Let, let's weed uh, let's let's make it a pure crop again. Uh, but Jesus or the, the master replies, no, um, if you pull it out, you'll rip out the wheat with the weeds. And so we're going to leave it for now. Uh, the weed that was likely uh, Jesus was referring to was a weed called Darnell, um, the commentators tell me. And apparently when they were growing up, you couldn't quite tell the difference until they started to bud and the grain came out. And then you could tell, oh, no, there's the Darnell wheat. Um, and this kind of weed would intertwine its roots with the wheat that was already there. So if you were to pull out the weed, you'd pull out the wheat with it. Um, and this, this um, weed was quite poison, a little bit poisonous to people and could even be a little bit um, hallucinogenic and things like that. So you couldn't eat it. And so it was the only thing you could do with it was burn it and get rid of it. 
And there's a lot of things in this passage that Jesus is going to teach us. So we're going to look at some of them later on. But Jesus here is addressing an age-old query that we have. Why does the kingdom not bring perfection now? Why does the kingdom of heaven not bring refining and purity and perfection now? When Jesus comes in his kingdom, why doesn't it just mean everything gets better straight away? And Jesus is leaning over to his disciples and all who will listen with their ears and saying, to expect this, to expect a mixed world. In the world and even in the church, there'll be wheat and there'll be weeds. The perfection of the kingdom hasn't yet come. We live between the now and the not yet. And so in this age, in the age of the church, we ought not to expect a perfect world or a perfect church. Instead, a mixed world and a mixed church. Good and evil will live next door, sometimes in the same church and sometimes even in the same house. So we ought to expect this. That's the first picture. The kingdom of heaven is mixed. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven will start many and grow to be mature. The kingdom of heaven will start many and grow to be mature. A tiny mustard seed produces a large mustard plant. In Palestine at this time, uh, the mustard seed though biologically we know now is not the exact smallest seed, was one of the smallest, if not the smallest, that they'd ever seen. Tiny, if you see a picture, you can hardly see it on the palm of a hand. Yet it was able to grow in a season to be quite a large and mature bush that would spread out, grow high, grow wide. Um, sometimes if, it, if you left it long enough, the root of it would grow strong um, and it would be this quite mature bush. Um, so much so that apparently you were recommended not to plant a mustard tree in your garden because it grew too big and, and would take up too much room without producing um, um, the type of stuff that you want. And so Jesus is making just a simple point through a bit of hyperbole and exaggeration that the kingdom will start off small and insignificant, hardly being able to be seen, but it will grow into maturity in such a way that it even is able to provide shade and shelter for birds. He's saying to the disciples and to us, just wait and watch. So that's the second simple point through the mustard seed analogy that the kingdom of heaven will start many, but will grow to be mature. On that, number three, the kingdom of heaven will be multi-ethnic. The kingdom of heaven will be multi-ethnic. The birds of the air will find rest in its shade. I'll read that verse for you again in um, chapter 14, verse 32. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, that just sounds like it could just be, yep, that's nice. People find shade and shelter in, in the kingdom. But if you go through the Old Testament, there's actually quite a few references uh, throughout the Old Testament to birds of the air referencing to Gentiles, to the, the non-Jewish people finding rest and hope in a great tree born from Israel. Ezekiel 31.6, though talking about a cedar tree, says this, All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its bows. 
Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. Jesus is alluding to, through this mustard seed analogy, that the kingdom of heaven will expand and its branches will reach far and wide to the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to all the ends of the earth, that people, even people like you and I, Gentiles in Parramatta from various cultures and nations would find shade in its branches. Christianity is not a white man's religion. It's not a Jewish man's religion. It's all nations, all people, all birds. Bird life, no, okay. Um, Number four, so that was the kingdom of heaven will be multi-ethnic. That was three. Number four, the kingdom of heaven will multiply. The kingdom of heaven will multiply. A little leaven transforms the whole dough. I'll read that little parable again, verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that is yeast or starter, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. It's amazing. Uh, Last COVID lockdown, my wife Maddie started to make sourdough. And um, if you just combine flour and water and leave it out in the open, the the wild yeast in the air will start to get trapped in your starter and start to ferment and create this process that when you get this starter working and add it into uh, fresh flour and water, the leaven starts to mix through out the whole process and takes this dead and lifeless flour and suddenly it starts to ferment and bubble and and go from being just kind of clumpy to stretchy and and sweet and, and beautiful and it creates these amazing sourdough loaves. Jesus is using this beautiful picture of baking to show that a little tiny bit of leaven multiplies and transforms as it works throughout the whole dough. The the mustard seed teaches us that the kingdom will be extensive. Uh, The leaven teaches us that the work of the kingdom will be intensive, that it will work inside and start to multiply bit by bit by bit by bit and eventually transform the whole dough. When the kingdom breaks in, it will surely transform lives, families, and societies. Think of your life or an individual's life. Sometimes people are saved in a great cataclysmic shift and they drop drugs and sex and alcohol and they follow Christ. But often, mostly, and probably for most of us in this church, the leaven began to work slowly. Slowly, the seed and the leaven came through and we were changed bit by bit. Slowly, we turned from sins that used to thrill us and drive us And now we find them disgusting and we want them away. Where we used to hate serving and putting others first and making much of others, now we love to make much and encourage and build one another up and give our lives away for the sake of other people. The leaven works slowly, but it multiplies and transforms and then spreads from one person to the next, from from a mother to a son and and from a a son to his children. And, you know, we've got Rachel's parents online and my mom's here looking after our kids at our house and the the leaven transforms and it multiplies. It goes throughout societies. Um, After the advent of Christianity, 
We saw that the poor started to be cared for like they never had been before. Women were valued in a way that they'd never been valued before. The unborn um, were cared for and not left to be exposed. Christians would actually take them and, and adopt them into their homes. The leaven of the kingdom transforms and multiplies little by little by little. Though the kingdom of heaven started small, even still now, the leaven is working its way through the whole world, multiplying, transforming. And so let's open our eyes to see it. So what does the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, Jesus paints these pictures. The kingdom of heaven is mixed. It's mixed. The kingdom of heaven starts many, but it grows into maturity. The kingdom of heaven is multi-ethnic. And the kingdom of heaven multiplies. It grows and, and transforms as it goes. For the people watching this artist, Jesus, paint these pictures of the parable, they would have been thinking, that's not really what I was expecting or hoping for the kingdom. And that's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's the same for us. We bring our expectations, but we need to submit them to Jesus's authoritative declaration of what the kingdom will be like. So what is the kingdom like? That was question number one. Question number two, where is the kingdom heading? Where is the kingdom heading? This passage not only deals with what the kingdom looks like here on earth, but where it is going to end. What will happen at the end of the ages? What will God do about all of this sin and evil and, and the mixed wheat and weeds? What will he do about all the atrocities and, and the pain and the disease and the, and the horrible things that we see in the world? And indeed, even in the church. Have you ever wondered this? Where's it all going? How's it all going to be resolved? Well, it's a big question. Uh, there's many varied answers from lots of faithful Christians about how the particulars are going to work out as we get to the end. And we're not going to go into them today. But there's no uncertainty about how the end end will truly take place. And Jesus makes it clear in the explanation of the parable that we saw today. Where is the kingdom heading? Where is all of this working towards? How is it all going to pan out? Well, let me read again um, the explanation of the parable in verse 36. So he leaves the crowds, and again, he doesn't explain, like verse 34 to 35, he doesn't explain these things to the crowds because they've rejected him. So now he only explains it to the inner core, to the disciples, goes to the house, perhaps they pick up some leavened bread and eat it, and they go, the disciples show humility like we ought to show. And they ask Jesus a question. Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. All right. So he's going to reveal the characters. The field is the world. So it's not the church in this case. It's, it's the whole world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So men and women born again. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. 
Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Where is the kingdom heading? Well, Jesus tells us it is heading to a final harvest day, a day of judgment, a day of reaping in the fruit, sorting and separating a day which will then lead to all of our eternal destinies. Every man, woman, and child that's ever lived will be sorted, separated, and sent to their new eternal destiny. Jesus makes it very clear as well in this parable that he's the one in charge. He is the king. He is the landowner. He is the one that orders the the angels what to do. He is unmistakably putting himself in the position of God here. Note that he names himself the son of man. The son of man will do these things. And that's a reference to a a prophecy from Daniel in Daniel chapter seven, that there'll be this grand and glorious figure that will come before the ancient of days and every dominion and authority will be given to him. And Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I have this authority. This is how it will pan out. And though the kingdom looks small and insignificant and impotent at this point as Jesus is speaking, he's lifting our eyes to see where it will end, that there will only be two outcomes, that there's only two possible ways that this will play out for people. And it's very sobering and very scary. There are two outcomes, one, punishment, and the other, glory. Let's look at the first one, punishment. Jesus talked about the sons of the evil one. Friends, this is anyone who will not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Anyone who does not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength as revealed in Jesus Christ. He, just, he defines them as those who cause sin and make others stumble. Those who are lawbreakers of God's holy law. These are people outside of Christ, tragically, and their result, well, Jesus doesn't mince words here. They will be thrown into a fiery furnace. This is a terrifying image, made even more terrifying by Jesus's added description. What will this fiery furnace be like? Will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Weeping due to the dread and horror and regret of rejecting Jesus Christ, the King of the kingdom. And gnashing of teeth, that's uh, bearing down upon your teeth in anguish, which signifies torment and pain, a conscious torment and pain. In no uncertain terms, Jesus is declaring that anyone who is not truly in his kingdom, will be thrown into hell. That's outcome number one. 
Outcome number two of the kingdom, where is it heading? Glory. Jesus says that the sons of the kingdom, the wheat in the parable, those who are righteous, those who love God's ways, who follow God's son, Jesus Christ, who've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus that he will shed in a couple of years' time in in Matthew's gospel on the cross. What's their outcome? Well, Jesus says in no uncertain terms, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Like Jesus' face that we will soon see lights up in the transfiguration, so too those who are followers of him will share in his glory. We will dwell in the realm of the Father, the kingdom, the consummated kingdom, the perfected kingdom for all eternity. So where is the kingdom heading? Well, well, we saw what it's like. It's, it's mixed. It's mini gets massive. It, it is multi-ethnic. It multiplies. And where will it end up? Where is it all heading to? Where is every church service in the world, every outreach, every evangelism moment, every little part of discipleship, where is it all heading? To judgment day, where there will be some who will be cast into eternal punishment and some into eternal glory. So question number three, what do we do now? Well, how do we live now in God's kingdom. Well, I want to encourage us and exhort us in four ways this morning. Firstly, this. Be confident. Be confident, Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta. You are on the right side of history. You are on the right side of eternity. Christianity Jesus' kingdom will win. There will be no second place. There will be no one else. There'll be no other medals given out. There's one winner, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I once read a book which had a uh, a stupid, really, subtitle saying, will Christianity have a future or a funeral? Will Christianity have a future or a funeral? I mean, it's a catchy little rhyme, but it's a, it's a ridiculous idea. Christianity, there's no chance it will have a funeral. Yes, presently at this time, the Euro Christendom experience of a kind of European Western Christianity might not last and may not continue. But Christianity, the kingdom of heaven, it will win. The summary of the book of Revelation by H.B. Charles Jr. is Jesus wins. Uh, That's what we have to look forward to. That is our confidence. We do not need to look at our godless world and all these policies and all these things that are going against us and think, oh, no, the kingdom's in jeopardy. Friends, the mustard tree will continue to spread its branches. The leaven will continue to multiply house to house, community to community all over the world, as we've seen. The great Bishop J.C. Ryle said this 150 years ago. I love this. Roman emperors and heathen philosophers, sometimes by force and sometimes by argument, tried in vain to check the, to check the progress of Christianity. 
they might as well have tried to stop the tide from flowing or the sun from rising. (laughs) You know, friends, when anyone opposes the king, it's like trying to stop the tide from coming in or the sun from rising up. The kingdom will go forward, and it has done ever since Jesus left the Great Commission to these 11 men who were weak and pathetic like you and I, but empowered by the Spirit. The kingdom has come from Jerusalem throughout the whole Roman Empire, across to Africa, all of Asia, and across almost the whole known world. That's what's happened. And it's amazing how quickly things can happen. In Korea, in the uh, 1800s, there was like a tiny little Catholic underground church. A Welsh missionary ended up getting the Protestant faith over there. And in the past 130 years now, we've seen in Korea that a third of the country is Christian. The biggest churches in the world are in Korea. And Korea sends out more missionaries than any, uh, any other country in the world. That is rapid leaven. That is mustard seed growth. That is what the kingdom can do when the Lord breaks through the ground. So be confident, friends. Christianity, the kingdom of heaven, is not in decline. It's not. It will not ever. It will continue to grow, and we are on the right side of history. Secondly, friends, those who are in Christ, be hopeful. Be hopeful. No matter the darkness of your day, your future is bright, shining bright. Heaven awaits you. I don't know what experience you're having right now, but you may feel like the shadow of death has come upon you. You may be walking through the gloom and darkness of trials. You may be looking at the stains of sin in your life, but this will all be flipped. The shadow of death, the darkness of trials will will be lit up in the kingdom. There'll be no more shadows. The stains of your sins will be washed clean once and for all. As Jesus said, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Our memory verse last month was Revelation 21. Let me remind you, this is our future. This is your future if you trust in Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, this is what you will miss out on. So listen in and think, do I want to get in on this? This is the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away and the sea that is trouble and and calamity and fear was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What a beautiful image, a radiant, shining, beautiful bride. For anyone who's ever felt unlovely, ugly, unimpressive, one day caught up with the great universal church of Christ, you will shine and be radiant like no other. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. 
for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new, everything new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Friends, be hopeful as you look through the darkness of trials, the, the, the shadow of death and the stains of your sin. This is your future if you trust in Christ. Flood your minds, set your mind on things above, set your mind on that glorious day, on that eternal shore when we will be with Christ forever. So be confident, be hopeful. But thirdly, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. The parable of the wheat and the weeds teaches us that it's a mixed world. Evil is with us for the long haul, and Satan is on the prowl. It also teaches us that hell is real. Punishment awaits the sons of the evil one. Those whom we eat and drink with and, and work with and play with and, and have nice conversations and share beautiful goodnesses and graces of God here with on earth. Be sober-minded. Their future is outlined here, and we mustn't forget it. We mustn't forget that they are on the conveyor belt into the furnace of God's fury. That's the reality. That's Jesus. You can argue with him, but that's, that's what is going to happen for those who do not trust in Christ. And so we need to be sober. We live, we love, we enjoy, we worship, but we soberly think of those who are outside of Christ and we yearn for their salvation. We, we, we see them with two lenses, people made in the image of God, but people rebelling against this God in need of salvation. So thirdly, be sober-minded. Finally, fourthly, be sure. Be sure, my friends. Jesus tells this parable to warn, to divide, to make us think about the final outcomes. Friend, where are you going when you die? Where will you be sent on the day of judgment? the great day of sorting between heaven and hell, the good and the evil. Where are you going? Eternal bliss or eternal torment? Be sure of where you are going this side of that day. Be sure by trusting in Christ, repenting of your sins and coming into the knowledge of the glory of God and entering the kingdom. You can be sure of your eternal future because Jesus said, all who come to me, I will never drive away. Never, never, ever, ever. So come to Christ and be sure that you will shine like the sun in righteousness on that day. Be hopeful, be confident, be sober, be sure.
since Jesus began this canvas 2,000 years ago, um, it's got a few more brush strokes on it. It's been painted out and, and it's a panorama and it's getting wider and wider and wider and more beautiful. The mustard bush has extended its arms. The leaven has permeated into more and more cultures and places and kingdoms and world and the world. And yet the weeds will always be mixed with the wheat till the end. And so, friends, follow Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Love Jesus. Make him your only way. For he is the hope of the world. He is our righteousness. He is the king of the kingdom and enter into his kingdom in joy. Let us now pray and then respond in worship. Almighty God, I pray and ask that if there's anyone here who is not yet sure of their eternal salvation, that you would get them right now, that they would move from darkness to light, that they would move from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of heaven, that they would repent of their sins and escape eternal judgment and escape the fury of your wrath that they justly deserve. Lord, I pray for their souls and I ask that you would move upon them right now. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be confident and hopeful, that we would look ahead to heaven filled with the knowledge of the future, of the glory that awaits us, and may it give us power and strength for the day and the trials ahead. And Lord, make us sober-minded, knowing of the reality of those that we love and work and play with, and help us to be faithful in making disciples of them. We pray all of this for your glory, King Jesus. May you be known, may you be praised, may you be rejoiced in across all the earth, across all of our homes and in all of our hearts right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.